Welcome to Let's Fucking Talk. I'm Lauren, and today Sean is back. Uh, if you did not listen to my first episode with him, it's number 41. I highly recommend you start there just so that you get an understanding of who this person is. On um, the first episode, we kind of talked about his evolution into being a mindful and thoughtful man. And In this episode, we talk about religion, and in previous episodes, I've discussed religion, but uh, (laughs) in a way that's strongly opinionated and really only based on my personal experience, but Sean brings us facts and history, and it's just an awesome conversation, Um, and there's a little more structure to his opinions about religion, which will probably be nice for some of you. Um, so that's it. I hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, Sean. Hey, what's going on, Lauren? Just here living this life. You are my first repeat guest besides my best friend. No way. I, I must be in really good company. I did want to thank you for having me back and, and having me back so soon. This is a ton of fun. Yes. From the moment you said, let's talk about religion, I just couldn't wait. well yeah i did some research obviously before you and i did our first episode together and i enjoyed your conversations and skepticism around religion and i was like "Ooh, like i should mention this in case you want to have me back because um as a history major and i'm sure we'll go into that i feel as though i have a lot to offer and um it's something that's been kind of big in my life the last like dozen years and so thank you for taking me up on it yes and i love that because all I have is opinion and a very particular life experience that a lot of people didn't have. So it's nice that maybe we'll actually hear some history and some facts instead of me just being negative Nancy based (laughs) on my own experience. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, our experiences shape us, right? Like my dad, he, he defines himself as a recovering Catholic. And so obviously, like, he didn't have the best experience. But then, of course, there are Catholics out there that are like, fuck, yeah, Catholic Church forever. So it's always dependent on our own personal history. So he was able to recover? (laughs) Is that what you're Um, telling (laughs) me? Yeah, sort of, kind of. He jokes that he's going to start his own church, which is the Church of Dubious Distinction. This has been a thing for the vast majority of my life. And it sounds like you would be down for that congregation. He's basically just going for the tax breaks in starting. I was going to say, just like, let me know and I'll be there. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So speaking of your dad, I want to know about your religious upbringing. If you had one. Yeah, for sure. So I was raised Christian, quote unquote, uh, non-denominationally. So, and so growing up and I think it was, I found out later kind of my parents both thinking that religion was a good conduit for teaching ethics, teaching morals, like creating a a sound human. And so I totally get where they were coming from. And we had like a church that we would go to on Sundays. And I started out in the church school until third grade. I switched to the public school. And so uh, that was a part of my life until maybe I was like 12 or 13, which is funny because it coincided with Living in Los Angeles, obviously, and for those who live in L.A., live in New York, other major metropolitan areas, there are large Jewish populations. And I grew up with a ton of Jewish friends, and they all started having bar and bat mitzvahs around like 12 and 13 years old. And it really intrigued me because growing up, you know, with Christianity, you hear that infidels or those who don't believe are going to go to hell, right? And growing up in LA, you're surrounded by all of this diversity. And so my best friends at the time were Jewish and Hindu. And so as a, as a young man growing up or as a kid, I was like, well, this is odd because the church that I go to is preaching, like, you got to believe this, you're going to go to hell. And, and, you know, if these people aren't Christian, they're not, they're not the best people. And then here I have my two best friends who are not Christian. 
And we, thankfully, my parents and I lived, um, I lived about a couple blocks away from a large Jewish synagogue in Los Angeles, um, basically Sunset Boulevard. I'm sure you've heard of Sunset Boulevard. It's like a famous street. Yes, yes. Yeah, so it's really long in LA. And if I came out of my house and went right, the street there was Sunset. I went down a couple blocks and there's a synagogue called Kahilat Israel. And that's where like all of my friends were having their bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, uh, reception or ceremonies rather. And then of course they had the reception or the party at night. And there were so many people, Lauren, who would send the invitations and I'd be like, yo, I can make your ceremony, but not your reception. And they would be like, really? Like, you want to come hear me speak Hebrew and like go over my Torah portion? You don't want to come to the party because most kids uh, flip that and they just want to go to the party. And I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm just interested in it. And it's uh, giving me a different perspective. And it's actually allowed me to learn a little bit of Hebrew. Like I can start out Hebrew prayers. I know a lot of Yiddish, et cetera. And so that started to kind of wear away my sort of Christian armor, if you will. And it was uh, an exclamation point was put on it around 12 or 13. My dad told my mom, like, I'm not going to church anymore. And he was like, Sean's old enough to make his decision. Like, you guys can go, you know, if you want. But like, I'm done as a, you know, because at that time he was probably in his like or late 50s. Uh, and um, so I did both. So I went with my mom to the church and then some Sundays I would kick it with my dad. And then some Sundays we would go to a different church. And through that process, I got a, a good sort of overview of like different sects of Christianity. And then also, uh, okay, what does my week and my day look like if I don't go to church and hang out with my dad? Um, for me, and there are other reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into, my belief in Christianity as an organized religion started to wane, but that was how I was raised. Perfect. So you had the experience that I had when I was 18, basically at 12 and 13, because I went to not just a Christian school, but a Catholic school from preschool to 10th grade. And yes, I went to public school my last two years and I was exposed to different religions, but I don't know, call it lack of a frontal lobe. I still wasn't putting the two <laughs> together of like, oh, there's other religions and like, what is what makes one right over the others. But then my first year of college, I had a professor who he was like, he's like a famous professor at the university of central Florida because he's so controversial and he teaches a lot of different uh, psychology courses. And of course, all of like the most taboo classes. And mm -hmm. we talked about religion one day and he it's one of those moments where someone says the simplest sentence and your brain implodes and you're like, wait, what'd he say? <laughs> and it was, it was just a moment of, he was basically asking how many different religions we had in the class. And he was like, so you all can look at each other and tell each other that one is wrong and you're right. Does anyone want to come up here and debate that? And everyone was like silent. And I was like, Oh my God. And then it turned into this rage for some reason where I went literally before the class, let's say it was at 2 PM by 3 PM. I was atheist <laughs> <laughs> and like ag quick. aggressively. So like angry, I was like, who lied to me this whole time? Gotcha. So it was the, over the course of that class that really sort of like infected you quote unquote. Yes. And it was literally one day, not even like one semester. Like it was just the perfect way of framing words. And I was like, oh my God, everything is a lie. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally right. That's not wrong. I'm really glad that you got that from one class. I'm also, when, when were you at UCF? 2010 to 2014. Okay. I have, a, I have a good friend who went to UCF, but I think he was there right before you. And obviously Florida has a large Jewish population as well. And so I'm, oh, I'm absolutely. Sure you saw that when you were in Catholic school, you know, was it an all girls Catholic school and did they speak Latin to you or were they speaking in English at that point? No, it was um, all genders and no Latin, no none situation, but still a very, um, what's the word? not progressive uh, style of learning and teaching people. Like I remember in fifth grade, we had the first introduction to like human sexuality 
and it turned into a theology class somehow. Um, and from fifth grade on to high school, before I went to public school, there's many occasions where we were shown graphic videos of abortions. Mm. So just a very strange way of trying to get a point across. And again, not teaching anything that was actually helpful, like true sexuality and safety and health, but more just like be religious or else. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that, that breaks down along like secular lines as well. When I was growing up in Los Angeles, we had our first sex ed class when I was in like fourth or fifth grade. And so they get to you really early. And then when I went to University of Georgia and maybe you in Florida as well, I had friends who they never talked about it. Like it wasn't even brought up in school and it was like, oh, sex, what's that? Don't do it. And so it really, it really doesn't matter like where one is, you know, it's going to be taught that same way. But the reason why I asked is my dad, like I said, was raised Catholic and he went to a Catholic school until ninth grade. And it's funny that you'd mentioned, Lauren, that the teaching like wasn't up to snuff, so to speak, with maybe like other schools. And that's what got my dad out of the Catholic school because he had friends through sports who were in the public schools and they were talking about what they were learning and the high schools, the public high schools were learning more. They were like more advanced in math. They were more advanced in science and doing more. And so my dad would bring it up in the Catholic school and being like, hey, like our compet, our competition basically is like learning more than we are. So like, can we speed this up? And they wouldn't do that. And so uh, that amid like some, you know, fuckery from nuns and like you know uh corporal punishment so to speak um my grandparents eventually took my dad out of that catholic school and put him into the public school but one thing that he said really uh wore away his belief was that uh all of the changes in catholicism so he said that when he was a kid they would show up and the pastor would face away from the congregation and just speak latin and so we could go we could go down a rabbit hole of why that is and to keep uh, certain people in the, in the dark. But then my dad said one day he showed up and the guy was facing the congregation and speaking English. And then, you know, for a period he couldn't have meat on Fridays and then that ended, he wasn't having so much fish. And so he was just like all these inconsistencies for him as a kid got his brain going of like, I don't know if this is like really the word of God, quote unquote. Absolutely. And it's funny, I guess this, well, this absolutely varies by state because Unfortunately, the education system is more mandated by the state and Florida is notorious for having horrible public school education. So on a general level, like I talked about it in a previous podcast, but when I went to public school, I was able to enroll in all honors and one AP class, whereas with Catholic school, I was able to do one honors class per semester. And that was through struggle and tears that I got good grades like it was so hard but one very interesting piece that was missing was geography (laughs) (laughs) and I guess that's what they replaced like for our they called it theology but theology is the study of all religions and we absolutely did not do that but anyways they called it theology and now I have little to no geography skills so please don't quiz me on state capitals or continents or countries (laughs) (laughs) okay duly noted um you also join i think most americans and unable and being unable to pick out cities and countries outside of our our own nation oh good i'm so glad i'm just a typical american (laughs) (laughs) um but it's interesting that you brought up like the inconsistencies and like how things have changed and i feel like it's a double-edged sword there are some things that the catholic church has changed that it's like, okay, good. They're kind of progressing and keeping up with the times. Obviously someone facing a crowd and speaking English, like uh, thanks for like basic human decency so that I know what the hell is even going on. Right. Um, And then most recently the Catholic Pope came out and said that gay people should have rights, which thanks for finally getting on board, I guess. Um, And then obviously the other side of that is, it creates, at least for me, and obviously people like your dad, it creates doubt. And it's like, so I just, I really wonder people who are extremely devout Catholics currently, did they change their mind with the Pope about homosexuality? Did they, like, that's the part that confuses me. And I wonder if any devout Catholics struggle with those changes, because 
some people are so biblical and think everything in the Bible is true and correct and came straight from the mouth of God. So then how do you figure when things are constantly evolving and we're deciding, oh, that was a bad idea? Right. Um, well, first off, I'm really excited to dive into like the books of the Bible and, and why we have the ones that we do, because um, that's a fun conversation. But the Catholic Church, in historically speaking, has always been great at adjusting and creating an opportunity for other non-Catholics or non-Christians to feel included. And so it's, you know, I, I love that you brought up the Pope condoning homosexuality after not for eons. And it's not the first time they've done that, right? Like we're a few weeks away from Christmas. There were no coniferous trees when Jesus was born in, in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Like that was brought out because of a pagan ritual. You know, Easter, there was, I don't remember reading about a fucking bunny in the Bible, but, you know, or eggs, but that was brought in because that was a pagan holiday. And a lot of those big name Catholics or uh, priests or um, friars from hundreds of years ago did a great job making everybody feel included. But the Pope does, and it's interesting how Catholicism frames certain things because they, they know what they're doing. Like they've been around for, let's call it 2000 years. They've been in power for about that long. They were the first great sort of uh, government, if you will, the ones pulling the strings. They were the ones who could read et cetera, et cetera. But how they frame things, for instance, with COVID, the Pope came out and called it Lady COVID. Like, why would you equate it to a female? Did he? You... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ew, he said, like, we need to get through, like, Lady COVID or whatever. But it's just confirming the patriarchy and, um, and you know, keeping that sort of status quo. And so, and this is not to say, like, if you're listening and you're, you're Christian and you're Catholic and it's working for you, like, great. Because obviously we all know fantastic people who are, very religious in one way or the other, if they're Christian, if they're Jewish, if they're Muslim, like, and they're cool people, like, it's fine. Um, I think where I'm coming from personally is being aware that it is this organized religion and there are, you know, man is involved. Like, if we believe that God is infallible, like, I'm fine with that, but he bounced and he left everything to men and, and men and humans we know can be very fallible and so if you're listening, I'm not trying to, I don't think Lauren is either like shit on your religion. It's just like, hey, if this works for you, great. But I think you should also be aware of the fuckery of foot, so to speak. Yes. And I have come a long way in being less judgmental and understanding that I currently hold some like fun spiritual beliefs that their their only purpose is to provide some comfort when I need it. And I'm I'm okay saying that and I'm honest about it and I'm aware of it. So I realize that there are things that come from organized religion that provide people that same comfort and safety. And that part of it, I'm like, go get them tiger. Life is hard. Whatever makes you feel better, whether it's collecting crystals like a weirdo like me or praying to a certain God, whatever makes you feel better. And I've just, I've done a lot of work on when I have a judgmental thought about someone's beliefs, I compare it to one of my beliefs where there are plenty of things that I choose to believe that anyone else might consider weird as shit. So like, I'm open to the idea that we can all think each other's stuff is weird, but we can still respect it. Um, and I just need a moment to get over the fact that he made a virus uh, have a gender. <laughs> but like, imagine being like Mr. COVID, like who? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Right. When, and he said, if he said Mr. COVID, everybody would laugh. Right. But it's like, oh, Lady COVID. It's like, oh, OK. You know, and everybody just sort of accepts it. Uh, I have crystals, too. A shit ton of them. Um, I have crystal yes. bracelets, too. So we're, we're on the same page there. We can definitely be weirdos. I think the goal is to be open minded. Like when I meet somebody who's like fervent about the religion, I, I just have questions and they're not like demented to mean. I'm just like, you know, obviously it came from how they were raised, like. With the recent election, whether or not it's on the left or on the right, how many kids did we see like holding up signs of either, you know, hatred or or not condoning something? Yeah. And obviously those kids are being taught this. And so when I meet somebody who's very fervent in their re religion, I'm, I'm just like, yo, like, how'd you grow up? Like, how'd you get this way? And if I find somebody who um, I think his name is Reza Aslan, he wrote a great book called... Um, 
God, what's it's about Jesus, uh, Zealot. That's the book he wrote. Yeah, Reza Aslan. And he was like raised uh, Muslim. I think I'm getting this right. He was raised Muslim and then um, switched to Christianity and then switched back to Muslim uh, Islam. And he he's like very fervent in his belief. And when he talks about it, it's like, cool, like you, you've researched it. Like he's an academic. He's looked at every side. He takes how he was raised into account. And then he made a decision. And it's like, yo, if you're doing that, awesome. But um, when I meet those people who they've just been drinking the Kool-Aid from their family, it's like you realize there's like other ways to do things. Like your professor said, you know, like how many different religions do we have in here? Like, all right, does anybody want to stand up and sort of stump for their God? And that also belies the fact that we're, you know, if there is a God, whatever there is, uh, we're all from the same thing. You know, it's not like there were multiple entities that were like, oh, I'm going to make Lauren. And then there's another group. It's like, I'm going to make Sean. Exactly. And you perfectly said my only desire and wish for people who are religious is just to go through your own journey of it. And if you end up right back where you started, perfect, amazing. That means you did your research and everything still aligns properly with you. Or you might come out with your own fun version of whatever it is, Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism, some woo-woo spirituality, if you're me. But like the idea, I've talked to people and just asking basic questions, like, like truly getting to know someone like, okay, so as far as your religion, when you read the Bible, do you view that as uh, true events or more as um, fables that tell a story and have like a great message. And there are some people who have responded to me by saying like, no, those events were true. And then when you just like pry a little bit into like, oh, so how do you, how do you explain the story of Moses parting the sea? And they kind of just like stare blankly and you see that they have never, ever, ever given anything a second thought after their mommy said so when they were three. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets me. Like I just, and at the end of the day, all humans deserve respect, whether you've researched your own religion or not. But I just want so badly for people to have their own version of things and do a little bit of research. And again, if you end up right back where you started, that's okay with me because you, you went about it and you figured out what works for you. Right. And I've asked those same questions, Lauren, like even of family members. And there's so there's been like, man, I think I've asked three different people who are super religious. And my litmus test is Jonah and the whale. I'm like, (laughs) Jonah and the whale. Did that happen? Or is that a fable? (laughs) And when, you know, and when I get people like, oh, 100 percent happened, I'm like, what? You know, and I really can't go anywhere with them. Uh, However, most recent conversation I've had this year with a former life coaching client she told me yes. And I was like, and she is a theologian. So I was like, tell me more. And she um, explained it in a way of, you know, kind of using a fable, but it was kind of teaching. And, you know, this could have been scientifically possible. And it's like, oh, cool. Like you went further down the rabbit hole. I appreciate you, Um, you know, with your example. And I got to shout out my, in a weird twist of fate, my godfather's Jewish and he has four kids and two twins. And the twins, I was at their bat mitzvah and their Torah portion was about, the escape of the Jews from Egypt. And so of course they talked about parting of the Red Sea, but they even in their Torah portion were like, you know, hey, us in, you know, 2000, whatever can take this with a grain of salt. Maybe it was some sort of title change. You know, maybe it was something that the Jews knew that the Egyptians didn't about this certain area where they were passing. And like, I'm okay believing that. It's kind of like the burning bush and my rabbit holes podcast co-host Jordan and I talk about this a lot that the specific bush that I think was Moses, right, who saw the burning bush, um, it has potentially uh, dimethyltryptamine or DMT in the plant. And so ergo, and I don't know if, are you familiar with DMT? Yes. So Joe Rogan talks about this exact theory. Right. And when he first talked about that, it's one of those things that kind of comes up every now and then on a podcast for Joe Rogan. And the first time he ever said it, I just rolled around giggling because I was like, oh man, religious people are going to just fall out of their seat. Not only are we questioning your story, we're saying it was due to psychedelics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I'm willing to like buy those biblical stories. Um, But yeah, it is interesting to see like who, who takes what from the Bible. And then this is like something I was uh, excited to talk about with you, Lauren, is like 
the books of the Bible, like how did we get those? You know, because those were handpicked. They weren't all of the people who were writing about Jesus or writing about the, you know, first coming the Savior back in the day. There was, and so that's where, you know, when when people are like, oh, this is the this is the be all end all in the Bible. I'm like, okay, well, what about the books that didn't make the cut? Yes, and I'm so glad that you have any kind of historic information on this because I again received a very sheltered education and our theology was not theology at all. It was just basically Bible study. So I don't even know that story. All I know from here and there of listening of things is that obviously these are just handpicked written things by humans. And I'm like, what are we doing? Basing an entire (laughs) like way of life off of things that were written by fallible humans, as you said, and not to mention thousands of years ago right and that's where when i jokingly i joke with people like if the bible held so much weight like could you do you think they could have given us a heads up on 2020 like somewhere in revelation john could have been like yo like by the way 2020 like you guys need to strap in you know or like hey i I know people who believe that this time is perfectly outlined because you know you can pick and choose and make things mean whatever you want that's what we do humans and there are people that i know who do believe that this was perfectly said and outlined in the book of revelations and that literally like the end is near and i'm like okay well hopefully that's true (laughs) at this point just fucking take us out i don't know (laughs) yeah i think there's some great stat that's like 80 percent of people who are are christian believe that the rapture is going to happen in their lifetime and that's been consistent for like a few hundred Uh years i.e we're we're all very myopic Uh And we think that it's all going to go down like during our lifetime. But um, I can dive into a little bit of the, the biblical history. Please. Stuff. Cool. So I went to the University of Georgia and I was a history major. It was mainly a means to an end. I was there to swim and I had a ton of history credits from high school. And my I didn't have a full scholarship for swimming. And so my parents were like, we're not going to pay for, you know, past four years. So you better graduate. And so I went to my academic advisor was like, well, OK, you tell me what my major needs to be to get out in four years. And she was like, you have a shit ton of history credits. Why don't you do that? And you'll basically you already have passed all of the low level history classes. So now you get to get into some fun classes. And so um, I picked one. I forget what it was, but the teacher I loved and he looks like Stephen Colbert. Uh, his name is Dr. Follett. Uh, Dr. Follett, if you're out there, fucking love you. And he it was like story time. It was like watching Stephen Colbert tell history stories. And it was one of the only classes I didn't fall asleep in. So I would just ask him, like, yo, what are you teaching next semester? And so I take multiple classes of his and he happened to specialize in ecclesiastical history. So just by default, I started taking a lot of history courses about the church. And one that's fascinating about the books of the Bible is that they were actually chosen during um, the Council of Nicaea, which happened in the early fourth century AD. And during that meeting, uh, Constantine, so if you guys remember Constantine, he was the ruler of Rome for a certain time. There's obviously like Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. And he, as the legend goes, um, he took Rome under the banner of the Cairo, which if you speak Latin are the first two letters of Christ. Apparently he had a vision that if he put the Cairo on his shields, that they would win and take Rome. They took Rome. And then he, uh, they like, he and his wife, like baptized their first kid. And he was the first person to really push Christianity on the Romans. And so he holds this council in like 315 AD, with all of the current Christian archbishops, and he pulls them in. So what they determine at the council is the books of the Bible and the divinity of Christ, i.e., is he a God on earth or was he a God in man form on earth? And so one, they decided the latter, right? That's the story we're told, like God decided to come down and like be a man, whatever. And with that decision, immediately the other side became heretics punishable by death. And so then again, one can assume that Constantine, not everybody loved the guy. So why not pick the sect that likes you? And then now you, you say legally, the other people need to convert or die. So like, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, and again, man, men running the show. And then they chose the books of the Bible, which ones to put in. And they, there were certain books that were left on the editing floor, which are fascinating. And they were actually found via the Dead Sea Scrolls in the middle of the 20th century. So we were kind of cool. Like you and I, Lauren, those listening, we we are in an age where a lot of this stuff is coming out. And so those Dead Sea Scrolls held what are referred to as the apocryphal texts. 
And those are books that didn't make the Bible. And they kind of get, they paint a different picture and you can see, one can see why they were left out. So like one is the book of Mary. So it was supposedly written by Mary Magdalene. And if you're the very patriarchal church, you do not want a book written by a woman. Like, are you kidding me to have a woman who could like have somebody write a book or she herself were literate enough to write a book? Like you're definitely not going to have that one in there. And it paints a, paints a very different picture of Christ as a person. Um, they left out the Gospel of Thomas, which is almost in its entirety. Highly recommend. You can get it on Amazon. Gospel of Thomas is great. And it's like a firsthand account of the disciples with Jesus. And again, paints a very different picture of Jesus. And when I say different, I, in my opinion, more positive, like more loving, more compassionate, more like it's not my way or the highway, but like, hey, we can all work together. Like I'm here to just help everybody level up. Um, uh, there's another book called the book of Jubilees, which I just think is like a cool name. And that harkens back to like an X-Men character. <laughs> and then, um, there's a great one called the book of Enoch. Um, and this is, uh, Enoch was Noah's great grandfather, I believe, or he might've been his grandfather. And, um, Enoch in that book, they talk a lot about the Nephilim, which are a cross between humans and angels. And so when the angels came down, they had sex with, humans because obviously like why wouldn't you we, we look great you know and um yeah exactly like why not you're down here for a little bit and the children the offspring were called nephilim and they were giants so like oh. dot 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 now david and goliath make a little bit more sense and if one does some research and does some googling giants were found consistently up until about the 19th century late 19th century and then they sort of dramatically disappeared the finding of giants and so that also kind of relates to the giants and then um Enoch was like such a homie of God that God, um, he never died. He lived for hundreds of years and then he just ascended into heaven and he became the angel Metatron. So like not Megatron <laughs> from uh, Transformers, but Metatron. And, you know, that's like this fantastical story. So I get why they wouldn't include it in the Bible, but um, that's just some of the inconsistencies from the get go, like from the jump. Yes. And, oh, first of all, uh, just a fun fact, I got into trouble my eighth grade year and was like suspended, indoor suspended most of the year. And we had a uh, play every year. The eighth graders did a play called The Stations of the Cross, which was literally like a physical challenge. Like you had to pose in the Stations of the Cross and the whole thing was like four hours long. And they made, me, An they made me Mary Magdalene as the punishment. And I was like, that's fine. That's my girl. So I want to read her gospel now. <laughs> Solid. Um, like, really, you're going to make an eighth grader like a prostitute because you're upset. Um, so <laughs> just very strange. But um, I forgot what I was originally going to talk about. Um, we were on books of the Bible. It was uh, oh, oh, Mary. Oh, okay. it was... So my mom has never been outwardly religious of any kind. Like I think she had a general belief in a God and that was about it. And my dad, I thought was religious my entire life. And then when I stopped going to Catholic school, he never stepped foot in church again. And what I learned <laughs> is that there was a tuition break if you went to church. <laughs> Oh, wow. So that That's was nice. a fun learning experience. I'm like, you woke me up early as hell every Sunday and you didn't even want to be there. Um, so my mom, you know, trying to, I don't know, maybe be more Catholic at home was like, let's try and read the Bible. And I think I was, I don't know, about 12 years old. And truly, we made it through like the first three pages and were literally laughing so hard and in so many tears that we we felt horrible and we were like we should never try this again because the first three pages of the new testament i don't know what the hell story this is but it's like it's almost like a genealogy for a few pages and it'll be like abraham um had children with sarah who lived to be 306 who then had 42 kids with bill and bill lived to be 400 and you're like what's going on like no <laughs> yeah, they didn't <laughs> first of all they were barely making it to their 30s at that time so just from that moment when i was however old i was young 10 11 12 i was like something's wrong with the bible just generally speaking from a logical 
scientific perspective. But then, of course, I was in Catholic school, so I never went past it. And I surely did not try to argue it in class ever. But it's so interesting how people can just ignore these really strange parts of the Bible. Right. And also, so um, those were literary devices that because the writers, the, the books that were included in the writers, like they were doing this for a reason. And they were using the New Testament to align with the Old Testament because the Old Testament talks a lot about the Savior, right? And the first coming and like, hey, we got we got a homie who's coming down. He's going to help us out. And the New Testament establishes Jesus as that homie. And so the first few books of the New Testament uses those like uh, lineages as literary devices to connect the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and basically prove that Jesus is that oh. Savior. For instance, they talk about, I don't know if you ever came across, um, or you might have read it in The Alchemist. Um, God, now I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Melchizedek. Does that no. name ring a bell? So Melchizedek is mentioned in the Old Testament, and then he's also mentioned in the New Testament in that lineage uh, conversation that you were taught, that you touched on. And um, Melchizedek in the Old Testament is talked about as the first like prophet king. And he's a king and he's also very smart and learned and he like is treading both lines, religious and secular. Um, and then in the New Testament, they go through the lineage and they touch on Melchizedek. And then the rabbis, when Jesus is like 13 and, and creating havoc in the synagogue, they say he's of the order of Melchizedek, i.e. they're connecting him to that guy, basically saying that like he's the once and future king. And Melchizedek is mentioned in The Alchemist. Um, if you get into some woo-woo stuff, Lauren, which I'm kind of excited to pick your brain about, um, he is an ascended master, quote unquote. And so um, a lot of woo-woo stuff in the Bible, too. But that's what they were trying to do in the uh, in the New Testament. Very interesting, because all they did for me was further, further <laughs> uh, plant some seeds of doubt, because I was like, no one's living 200 years. And I doubt anyone made it through 42 childbirths. Um, but one thing. That so I also have a I have a fun one there, too, to, to maybe uh, throw throw this yes. out there, too maybe not convince you about how long people lived, but throw out a different idea. So um, in again, like the middle of the, or I think early 20th century, the archeologists found what are called the Sumerian mm -hmm. tablets. And so Sumer was like one of the first, the OG civilizations before anybody else was around. And in the Sumerian tablets, you know, they found a bajillion of them. They talk about the lineage of kings. And uh, Christians and theologians used the Sumerian tablets to prove that a lot of these people lived for hundreds of years and ruled for hundreds of years. For instance, the biblical lineage of kings is like David, Solomon, you know, Moses, Abraham, a few other people like that. And it all talks about how long they ruled. And to your point, it's like hundreds of years, which seems, you know, like uh, that's that's just fictitious to the nth degree. However, the Sumerian tablets confirm it, like literally to the year and how long these kings ruled for. And so Christians and, and Catholicism were like, see there, boom, proved it. Like this is another historical record from that time. David, Solomon, everything's right. However, what they failed to say is that the Sumerian tablets keep going. And so the Sumerian tablets have kings that ruled for thousands of years earlier that predate biblical times. But everybody discounts that. And I get pissed because it's like, well, if you're going to use part of it to prove your argument as, as Christians, then you have to, by definition, include those those earlier parts. And then um, there's a great author, Zechariah Sitchin, and you might dig this, Lauren, from a woo-woo perspective, but he dives into that. And he dives into like those kings and it does relate to like aliens Ooh. potentially or um, humanoid type beings. And then it also does lend a little bit of credence to the book of Genesis and the garden of Eden, but in a different way. Like, again, it was just sort of like a fable and they're not really, um, it's not, you know, a literal garden and it's not a literal apple, but that this was set up by these ancient beings who came down and they were the ones who spliced our genes to go from primates to humans. And that's the reason why we'd have a missing link. And they used us to basically as slaves. And um, the Sumerian tablets also talk about a great deluge or flood. And so there's a lot of like crossover between this stuff, which I find fascinating. But um, another fun fact is uh, Christians wiped out 99% of classical literature oh, from like basically, yeah, basically year zero to now. 
And so that's why we don't have a lot of info. <laughs> from Great. Back then. And just in general, I feel that organized religion does exactly what you mentioned when you said that they should have, if part of the Sumerian tablets basically confirm some things, they kind of have to go with the whole story. But that's what organized religion does. They pick and choose things. And even someone who is Catholic trying to explain the Bible to you will pick and choose certain parts. So that's just a general theme in religion, which is another thing that's hard for me to get past. Um, And something that I want your perspective on, if you have any facts or from a more historical standpoint, is that something I've always kind of argued is that religion was brought into being for nothing else other than to govern. And now it has turned into more of like, we'll call it a hobby. (laughs) Because now we have more (laughs) democracy as a government. So we don't necessarily need religion. And religion was almost like this perfect storm of answers and explanation at a time where there was so much science missing that I understand why they came up with a sun God, a grass God, a plant God, or, or just one God who controlled all these things. Because I think still to this day, people who maybe hold more tightly to religion than I do, um, it comes from a place of religion provides so many answers and humans love to have answers. Mm -hmm. We don't like to say, I'm not really sure what is who is a god and i don't really know who's the main entity in charge but i'm okay with that and i'm just gonna live in this way and believe these things that bring me comfort like that's so hard for people to do they have to have answers so i think organized religion is a mixture of providing answers and of something that stemmed from governing and control and i think people turn a blind eye to that part and that control is still living on today a hundred percent i completely agree because you're so right lauren as far as humans being unable to say i don't know and and being cool with that like seemingly people have to pick an answer even if it's the wrong one and yes i think that and and they did by definition historically speaking early christians saw an opportunity to kind of coalesce a lot of different peoples under the same banner And then they were able to use that to form the earliest parts of government. And then they were also there with basically every Western power as they rose to ascendancy. So as England in the eighth in the ninth and 10th century was like becoming a thing, guess who was the right hand man? They had the church there, you know, as France was becoming a thing, as the different tribes in Germany were becoming a thing like Charlemagne, you know, was was the ruler of the Holy Roman Empire in like a thousand AD or something. And that was sort of when Germany was like coming up. It's like they all had priests next to them. And so Christianity has had a hand in shaping history from its inception to now. And like, obviously we still have it in money, right? Like in God, we trust, we have that on the money. You know, it's, um, I think in the, what pledge of allegiance, there's some God words in there. Like obviously our, so all of these powers are sort of based on it, but yes, I agree that Christianity sort of, uh, set the tone for, um, governments and sort of ruling societies going forward. Another fun fact kind of in this regard is um, priests were, weren't always, um, they didn't always have to stay unmarried. They used to be able to marry and that was a part of the church. However, as these priests would have kids, they would divide up the land amongst the children. Church can't have that, right? Because now they're losing their land every generation. So they said, hey, you guys got to be celibate. You can't have kids anymore. And so it's just another way that they were consolidating power. Yes. And you said something that sparked a question I have for you, because I feel like sometimes I'm like the only one that notices and that just can't be true. So our (laughs) government, one of the leading foundations it was built on was a separation of church and state. So I'm pretty fucking confused that we are still making laws based on religious views and everyone's just ignoring it or like, okay with it. Like what? I don't get it. What's happening? Do you see it? Am I crazy? (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? No, you are not crazy. Um, I think it's, I think it's a comfort, you know, it's almost analogous to like a comfort blanket. And how many of us as kids, you like become old enough to not really need stuffed animals or whatever, but you still have that blankie to like keep you comfort, even if it's tattered. And I think that's kind of what 
modern societies have done because they, like the church before them, realize it's challenging to create an entirely new system. But if one can kind of equate the new system to an old system, then it's a lot easier to manage. It, we see this in sports a lot too. Like obviously I'm a, I'm a dude, so like I am a big NBA fan and there are so many teams who they lean on their heritage, you know, and they're like, Hey, we used to be a winning culture. Like we've always been a winning culture, but when you actually, you know, and their fans are like, yeah, like, like I, I'm not going to pick on them, but like Houston, they're really close to Austin. And so like they won a couple championships in the nineties. Uh, it's known as clutch city and they stand by that. But then when you dive deeper, it's like, but it's been like 30 years since you guys won anything, you know? And, and I think it's just a way to create those tribes, like help them coalesce. And it is kind of like that, um, that safety. I just find it so infuriating that in America of all places where we have arguably the most diverse population, there are laws that affect us that come from a religious standpoint that some people might not have at all. So I just, I don't know. That is just very upsetting to me. And the fact if, (laughs) if they could, if they could stand there and come up with logical, scientific, factual, even economic reasons um, to be pro-life, to be anti-gay marriage, to be all of these things, that would be fine. You can have an opinion and you can have a standpoint. But if you are putting something into legislation for an entire country, it has to be based on something other than your religious views. Yet every time it's talked about and argued, we're going back to God. And I'm like, what? Who? What? Where are we? This is not yeah. a church. This is literally a government. Well, I think it's, it's hard for people to think on their own, right? Like how many people were misinformed in the 2016 election and 2020 election simply mm-hmm. because of social media and the potential unwillingness to go further down the rabbit hole or like spend five or 10 minutes on Google, like read a book and try to figure out like if what you're being told is actually true. And so that's where I think that the church and the Bible and God in general is very comforting and it's like easy and people, you know, it's almost blasphemous, LOL is like literally the term to like go into it and try to pick it apart and try to dissect it. I'm curious, Lauren, you'd mentioned like being woo-woo and stuff. And obviously you've made a transition from Catholicism to the spiritual side. What what are your beliefs if you have them? And like, how would you define So yourself? I'm very comfortable saying, I don't know. And... My main thing is that I'm perfectly okay with saying I have zero idea what or who is in charge here. But what I can agree on with myself is that there is something larger than us. And I see it as an energy and like something... there literally to me is no words in the English language to describe what this thing would be that is running the show, so to say, or guiding or creating. I literally don't think there's words. I think it's like an energy and that could be a form of light, a form of love that has literally no words to explain it. I struggle so hard when people are like, it's a man in sandals. I'm like, huh? (laughs) Is it (laughs) like, I think it's so, and and even for people who believe in a God, I think it's so diminishing to say it is a, a person. How, what do we know about people? They struggle greatly. They have a hard time sometimes making the right decisions. Like that is not what this thing is. So I'm okay with that vague response, as far as a version of a God, I call it the universe. Um, I don't know if you remember from the episode you listened to about religion, but God is like a trigger word. I, it has to be from Catholic school. I don't know why it's so offensive to me, but I do not like that word. So I say the universe and, mm-hmm. um, and then everything else in between is just little spiritual practices that bring comfort. So just like you said, someone might have, A blanket, like for instance, I have a blanket I sleep with every night. I also have crystals. And as you know, as someone who has crystals, they have different meanings and energies. Do I know if that is true? Mm -hmm. No idea. But it makes me feel better. And if I'm having a certain kind of feeling and there's this crystal that supposedly helps, 
I'm going to hug her. <laughs> like that's, and it's just like little things in between meditation. Um, I believe in using psychedelics as a spiritual experience. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's a little vague, but it's just whatever feels right. Like I'm, I, my problem with religion has always been this blind loyalty almost. And I don't have that to anything mm-hmm. as far as a spiritual perspective. It's just what feels right to me in the moment. Right. Well, and I appreciate you being okay with saying, I don't know, because that's something that I stand behind as well, because, you know, we don't have the answers to everything. I did want to give you a little bit more insight into crystals just to back up like what you're feeling. Um, And you may already know this, so go ahead and stop me. But um, we know that on this planet, you know, you and I are carbon-based life forms. And the vast majority of the animals on this planet are carbon-based life forms. However, there are silicone-based life forms that mainly live at the bottom of the ocean. And so we know that silicone can uh, lead to life and that silicone beings can lead to life. And so what is a crystal based out of a crystal is a silicon based potential life form. And when I say potential life form, again, we get myopic as far as our life on this planet, which is just a small like blink in, in terms of the totality of the history of this earth. For instance, if you, if one looks at the world from the time it started to now, like obviously you have Pangea and then the, the continents drift apart and never, if you look at it over that spectrum, it looks like a living, breathing organism, right? And so the same thing can be said about crystals. If we take it over thousands of years, the crystals are growing. They are changing shapes. Like I'm sure, you know, like, like I do, you have very nicely rounded and sculpted crystals, but like they obviously didn't come like that and they grew, they grew over time. And so that's where the energy of crystals kind of relates is that these are like living beings. We just don't really understand them. Obviously Quartz crystals are used in computations and computers and technology It is used to house data. So obviously like there's something going on with crystals and that's why we get that energy. But um, I like you, um, I'm maybe not as adverse to the term God. I do use the term the universe or, you know, one or source um, because I, I do agree with you. There is this like collective oneness. Um, I also agree with you that there's something going on. Like if I had, if I had to put a definition on my beliefs, it would be agnostic. Like I do think there's something to this, but I don't know what that is. And if we could look at a language that God quote unquote uses, it's math. Like everything on this planet is based on either the Phi or the Fibonacci sequence. And if you're listening, highly recommend that you look those two up. The Fibonacci sequence is like the Leonardo da Vinci's famous, like Vitruvian man. It's also in like nautilus shells, or if you look at a succulent, like that's in the same uh, Fibonacci pattern. And then phi is another pattern that is not as prevalent as Fibonacci in this world. And so um, I try to pick apart like those little things. And then anything else, as far as just like a creation story, I just think they're like fun. And so if someone has like, when I was reading those books on Sumerian tablets and the Anunnaki and the aliens, I was just like, oh, like, at the very least, this is entertaining and it gives me something to talk about on podcasts like this. But like, am I going to take it as truth? Exactly. Maybe. And like, there are so many things in spirituality that I consider like fun and interesting that I for sure entertain. But there I always my rule to myself is to leave at least 10 percent room for this is wrong as shit. And who cares? Like I it's <laughs> disturbing to me. And I think religion gives people the entitlement to say and to believe I know and I'm like you know literally nothing so what like there is no one who knows that's the whole thing right yeah and um I think we find out like in death I think that death is just an extension of like a different type of life like I would be curious your take on it too of like why are we here oh so we can get um this is where I everyone's gonna stop the podcast and be like this girl's batshit crazy um so (laughs) first of all i do believe in past lives i believe in soul families that you will kind of continue to reincarnate around the same souls they might show up as obviously different people and in different relationships and situations in your life but i believe in that and i believe um i think it was the book journey of souls that did this to me but he painted the 
cutest afterlife. And I was like, that's the one. That's the one I'm going with. Um, you like go into the light and you meet your soul family. And you're like, oh, my God, that was you. And then it's like this world of magic with different planets. And you can go to one place where you can be a mermaid or you can go to another one where you can like create trees and landscapes like with your own magic. So I know I just lost everyone, but I read that in Journey of Souls and I was like, oh my God, that's where I'm going. (laughs) So um, great book. I've read it as well. And I'm grateful that like the universe has brought us together um, because I could talk about this forever. And it's um, not only mentioned in Journey of Souls, but there's other works by Dolores Cannon um, that paint the same picture. And for those listening, so for those listening who haven't (laughs) turned this off, there, there is a lot of validity to what Lauren's saying. They, the book, the writer, I forget his name, um, with Journey of Souls, but he and Dolores Cannon are hypnotherapists by trade. And long story short, they were working with a literally thousands of clients, and they would get to what they call the superconscious, which was past the subconscious. And they noticed that the superconscious was similar from person to person to person, and that could be defined as like a soul entity. And so the writer of Soul Journeys and Dolores Cannon, while they were there, they were like, well, you know, you've helped me sort of like fix this client, but like, what's going on over there? Because like, you're a very unique entity to find. And they talk about, um, yeah, that when we die, it's not the end. And that what we're doing right now is just kind of like a fun game. And we're meant to learn certain things about life. And believe it or not, this is supposed to be more fun than not living life. And so um, I totally subscribe to that. That's what I believe. Like, I believe that, you know, the soul and there, there are some things in Christianity and every religion that touches on this. And I think there are clues there for people that want to pick them up and who aren't siloed in one religion. For instance, if you're just in Christianity, like you might not be able to pick up these clues. But if you study Christianity, if you study Buddhism, if you study Judaism, if you study these other world religions, all of a sudden you can see these little like breadcrumbs and certain Uh, religions are talking about the same things and so i think they do talk about a soul and that this body is just sort of like our fun meat spaceship while we're here and that our soul lives on from from life to life but we're meant to like make an impact and we're meant to make this a place a better place and then like lauren said when we die we go to this like way station where it's like all right cool like let's look at your life and let's see how you did and there's a paradox there because in Journey of Souls and these Dolores Cannon books, they talk about one being able to choose their family for the reason that they came back to like make the impact. But paradoxically, when we're born, we forget. And then it's our job over the course of our lifetime to remember yes. why we're here. And that's just the version that brings me comfort. And through my journey into spirituality, that's what made me gain um, just more compassion and understanding and empathy for people who follow an organized religion because at the very base level of it, it's all based on the same human needs and desires. So I've just tried to translate, like there's someone in my life who has a very religious family. And I was telling my therapist that for years they would talk and I'd be like, these crazy assholes, like truly, like they would say things (laughs) that I was just like, I'm literally in the presence of the cuckoo farm. Like that's just how I felt. And then when I started to, I started to kind of basically do an exercise on myself. And while they were talking, I would replace their vocab words with my vocab words. And all of a sudden we were saying the same thing. And I was like, oh, how interesting. Mm -hmm. Like when I replaced the word God with the universe, all of a sudden, almost everything we were saying was the same. And I was like, how interesting that like your choice of words is what makes all these things so different. And like you said, if you do study religions, they have so much in common, which is so interesting because religion, when you follow it really strictly is very divisive. And, and that's what happens. You don't learn Mm -hmm. outside of it. So then you're just Mm -hmm. stuck in that place and you think everyone else around you is crazy. And if you, really looked into it you're all kind of the same just with different vocab words (laughs) oh totally and that's that is what's fascinating about it and i'm have you ever seen the movie arrival you always have great movie recommendations 
<laughs> oh, that's nice of you. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. If y'all haven't seen it, if you're listening, um, Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, Forrest Whitaker. Um, and it's about, I'm not giving anything away, but like aliens come to earth and um, they're trying to teach us a language. And when Amy Adams starts to, who's the linguist, like figure out the language, she goes, there's so much meaning here. And um, I don't know if I played this game with you on the last show that we did, but um, can I play like a really quick yes, game to kind and of prove I think this point? It, just don't say Beauty and the Beast because we did that one last time. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's exactly <laughs> yes. what it is. It's teacup, you know, and if you're thinking at home, like you, I say teacup, you're thinking of something in your head. I promise you, Lauren's thinking of something different. I'm thinking of something different. And we need to realize that words are just tools. And so like Lauren's saying, one word can be the same exact thing to somebody yep. else. It's just so uh, just a side note. My cat has been ferociously meowing this entire fucking episode. So if that's in the background, my deepest apologies. She's very chatty today. Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's the conversational nature, right? She was like, now hey, I, I know I told you an hour and it's just so hard with this topic and you, but I wanted to, kind of let you end this with something that you brought up on our first phone call ever when we weren't even talking about religion and it was about um the role that religion has played into creating a patriarchy so i'll just let you sum that up because i would like i literally never thought of it until you said it on that phone call so we can Mm -hmm. that fun little yeah totally Yeah, leave people with something to take away. Um, first off, Lauren, thank you for having me back. Like, I, it's an honor to be the second guest ever you've brought back for a second show. Um, I also obviously love talking about this stuff, and you've given me a conduit in which to do so. So thank you. Like, I really appreciate you. If you ever want to have me back and like, pick my brain on religion, just be like, oh, go I and set it straight. Like, I got ideas. you. But. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, when you want to go into the deep yeah. woo-woo, like, I'm here for you. Um but yeah, as far as the patriarchy, like if we look and and I, if I had to guess, the majority of your yes. listenership is female. So this is a boon to most of you listening. Uh, one looks historically, it was actually the women that held the power. And it was the church mainly, but other organizations that started to um, flip the script on that and sort of like... Uh, make it a a perversion away from that. So what I mean is if we look at native cultures, uh, and I'm sure if you're listening, you've seen or heard of the fertility gods or like fertility icons. Um, Also, if we look at Native American cultures, both in Northern America and South America, the female was ever present. And if we think about a like grandmother type, they're always like very kind. They're very wise. They can do a bajillion things. You know, they can cook, they can sew, they can like talk to you, that whole deal. And that was the sort of base level um, in societies before Christianity and before the Western religions. And we can even see it today, for instance, in the movies that we watch, in the books that we read, because the female archetype has now been perverted to be the witch right so it's like snow white the like haggard old witch and stuff and these were fables like those stories like um snow white we get to see the movie version but they were fables that people told for centuries and so for centuries they're talking about this nasty old hag versus the wise sage which we see in uh greek culture So obviously the Oracle at Delphi, the Oracle was always female. And so the the females were always the ones with the, you know, what was the future? What, what did people need in that moment? There's also a great tale about Persephone. And that's also sort of a, a, a major female character. And then as over the last 2000 years, um, you know, there, it was, it was almost like, and I don't know if it was, it had to be tactical, but to wear away the female presence and continue to make it more of a male thing. And I personally would love a female running the show here in the States or like running the show globally, because we've had men do it for thousands of years and it hasn't worked out all that great. And when we have had females, they seem to do a good number like Elizabeth the first Joan of Arc, um, Margaret Thatcher, just to name a few. And so um, I think it was a power play by the men. And we see it like earlier, we were talking, Lauren, about the Pope saying lady COVID. Like there are words that people use to obviously put women down, but that's not always been the case historically. 
um, but to preserve this like male dominated institution in Catholicism that has like a shit ton of male saints and pushes Mary Magdalene to the side, et cetera, et cetera. Like they want to retain that power. Like any organization that's in power wants to retain it. And they've seemed to have done a great job, even looking at like the Spanish inquisition, um, how many women they killed during that part again, because they were witches. We can look in the Salem witch trials again, where they were pegging women as being the bad guys and they killed them as well. And so it's um, like over and over again in history. And I'm hoping that we can start to turn the tide. That's why I'm personally excited for um, Kamala Harris in the U S like being the first female vice president. I would love for women, like y'all could run the world for a few decades. Exactly. Let's, see like, let's just give it a try and see how it goes at least. <laughs> but yeah, like the story of Adam <laughs> and Eve, for instance, the story of Mary Magdalene, like there's just so many of these like poorly painted women, especially in Catholicism. And I mean, Eve is literally the reason for all sin. I'm like, wow, what a stretch. <laughs> like, know, I'm like, dang, Eve, are you okay? <laughs> so it's just, I, when literally the first time you said that on our call, it's, it shows how much, even though I've, come out of religion how much i really still did not fully take in these problematic little pieces like i was only looking at such a small portion of the issues that i personally found and then you look bigger than that and you're like oh that's so frightening to think of that religion has essentially assisted the patriarchy in growing Right. And, and minimalizing the role of the woman in society to be just a, you know, minuscule support and not like the main thing. I mean, women uh, have the ability to create life. Like I know it, it takes two to tango, but like women are the ones birthing the children, birthing the child. Um, you know, we see this in Judaism, of course, where the Jewish religion passes down through the female because that's how you can assure that the, the child is Jewish. Um and there's, you know, myriad other examples that I'm just forgetting now, but um, it would be nice to have uh, women take over. Like we've never had a female Pope, you know, it'd be, it'd be fun to try that out at some point um, and not have women so marginalized wow, in culture in general. Pope, that's at least 200 years out, but yeah. And maybe, maybe <laughs> when we return in our other soul forms, we'll be able to see it. <laughs> Hey, if you want to, if you want to run things, when we come back to do this again, I'm down. I'll see you in that little like soul yeah. dimensional way station and be like, all right, Lauren, we got it. We got our, find one where our you're soul running family show. waiting room. <laughs> 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 all right, Sean, it's been magical as always. I will set you free, but you will return. Awesome. So if you want to just connect with me and talk about cool stuff like this, you can find me on Instagram. It's fitness shaman. Yes, there are three S's in the middle fitness shaman. My wife and I own a coaching team that we talked about on our previous episode with Lauren called DLD Nation. You can also find us on Instagram via DLD Nation. Um, and I just, again, Lauren, wanted to thank you. Mm-hmm.